true love is perhaps one of the most misunderstood things in all of the universe. What is it? What is it not? Is it really love that has made me feel this way? Is it love that has made me feel this wonderful? Is it love that has really, really hurt me? When I was a teenager, one of the top music groups of that time was the band Def Leppard. Remember? Back from the 80s? Yeah. Pyromania? Yeah. Uh, and Def Leppard, is, this, is the picture up there? Yeah, 80s rock and the whole thing. <laughs> one of the biggest songs, one of, perhaps their biggest song, in fact, if, if, when I just said Def Leppard, Perhaps the song that came to your mind, uh, well, there's probably two. <laughs> right? I don't know if I should met poor. No, no. <laughs> the other one is Love Bites. Remember that song, Love Bites? It's a song that expresses dissatisfaction with love. In, really, in reality, what the singer was dissatisfied with wasn't love at all. It was something else. It was some other hurt. It was somebody that did them wrong. It wasn't love. Because if it was love, love doesn't bite. Uh, there are many, many people dissatisfied and disenfranchised with the world's notion of love. The world's idea of love is very self-centered. That kind of love focuses on per personal gratification and it, it, it is sometimes very, very shallow. Needless to say, this leaves a lot of people wanting to sing their version of Love Bites. The Bible presents a completely different kind of love. It is revealed in the New Testament Greek word for love, agape, agape. It is a love that is from God. It is perfect love. It's, as Amy Grant sung, it's love of another kind. Amen. It's unconditional love. It's everlasting love. When this love from God is expressed, it changes everything. When things are done with the love of God, it makes everything meaningful. Which brings us to our text tonight. Tonight we're going to be looking at a few verses in John chapter 11. And this is where Jesus is made aware of the fatal sickness, the fatal illness of his friend and his very dear friend and loved one, Lazarus. In this text of Scripture, we see the perfect love of God. This section of Scripture teaches us some important things about God's love towards us. And it's important that we, we stop and take a look at the love of God because we can instantaneously answer the question, well, what's the love of God about? Or what's love about? And we can blurt out answers, but I think we need to take a look at a passage like this tonight so that we can see the love of God in its perfection, because it's not like the love of the world. It's not according to the notion of the world's love. It's the perfect love of God, and so we need to, we need to look at it. So let's look at this first section of John 11 and allow God to show us his perfect love, his great love. There's two points tonight that I want to talk to you about 
about the love of God, the perfect love of God. The first one is this. His, he loves you unconditionally. His love is unconditional. Let's look at it in John chapter 11. Pick it up, verse 1. It says this. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. God, Jesus, loves us unconditionally. Here we're told about a man named Lazarus. It's Jesus' friend. It's Lazarus whom Jesus loves. Who was this Lazarus? He was a friend of Jesus. He had met Jesus and they were friends. In fact, you could make the case that outside of the disciples, that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were some of Jesus' closest friends. And these three lived together in a house in Bethany, which is a town right outside of Jerusalem. It's about one and a half to two miles just outside of Jerusalem. In fact, it was this place where Jesus stayed when he had come for the Passover uh, that week. He was literally staying as a house guest with uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So, in this account, um, well, I want to go back to another account. There's another account where we first see this family. You're familiar with this family, Mary and Martha, the sisters. In this particular event are contrasted in their two personalities and their two lives, right? So you had Martha on this particular account when, when Jesus was there in Bethany and, and he was teaching and he was ministering to people and, and Martha was the one who was just busy just doing everything. And she was, she was, you know, taking care of the food. I'm sure Martha was a wonderful cook, right? I mean, she was, I mean, we, when we get to heaven, we're, we'll probably, you know, we'll probably know that, like, certainly Martha was, I mean, she gave great care and concern to those particular things. And on this particular occasion, it was Martha that came to Jesus and said, look, I'm taking care of everything. I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of everything. And look, Mary's just kind of sitting there. She's just listening to the teaching. She's not taking care of anything. And he said to her, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about a great many things. But Mary has chosen this, and it will not be taken away from her, right? And it was in that sense that Jesus told us and, 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 and talked to us about the priority of being that person that listens to Jesus, the service is great and what you can do for the Lord and what you can do for your family, that's all wonderful. 
But if you do it just in the busyness of all that and not in the context of being a person that knows how to sit at the feet of Jesus and receive from him, you can get upset. You can get stressed. You can get worried about a great many things. And God wants us to do things in that right perspective. And so at this point, Lazarus is, is sick. And the, and the sisters sent word to Jesus concerning Lazarus' condition. They sent him a message. They sent him this message. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. What was this? This was Mary and Martha letting Jesus know about what was going on with their brother. It was an appeal to Jesus. They had confidence in Jesus, and they had their concern brought to Jesus. You will notice that nowhere in this message is any appeal on their part of what Jesus should do. They were simply letting Jesus know of this great care that they had. Every part of this appeal is just telling. They called him Lord. They said, Lord, Lord. Now, what's interesting is you can tell a lot of about, not always, you can tell a lot about where people are coming from when they refer to, to God if they use the word Lord. Not always, but a lot of times. People will talk about the man upstairs. <laughs> you know, people will talk about, yeah, him or whoever, or the big man or whatever. And maybe even God. Use the word God. But then I think there's, there's a, a real thing when, when someone says Lord, there's a difference. Not all the time, not all the time. But, 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 but I think there's something to the person who says Lord because Lord expresses some, some things. It expresses some knowledge of who he is. It, it, it expresses his, his authority and, and, and his position, and, and specifically his position as it pertains to, to me. You know, that, 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 that I call him Lord, that he's my Lord, that he's in control, that he's in charge, that I'm, that I'm not the one that's in charge. And, and, and I think that's important. And, uh, and so we need to, 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 to notice that, that they called him Lord. Lord is the language of believers, when you hear someone referring to Jesus as Lord, it's usually significant. It acknowledges his deity, his lordship, and his authority. And then they say, behold. Behold. Behold is a word that gets someone's attention. Uh, it focuses the attention of the hearer. Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. This part of it, this part of their message is important as well. They did not say the one who loves you. This is a reminder to all of us of the Lord's incredible love for us. They said the one that you love, Lord, is sick. The one that you love is sick. Our love for the Lord can be can fall short sometimes. It can be, you know, in our humanity, it can be feeble. It it 
And we, we, we contrast that with the love of God. His love is beyond. His love is, you know, we, we try to think about the love of God, you know, try to think about it. And you try to think of perfect love. You try to think of an absolutely perfect love in every which way that, that love can be perfect. We try to think about that. And Paul, even in the book of Ephesians, he, he basically spells out, you know, kind of a, an equation. It's almost like a scientific equation about trying to comprehend the love of God. He says to, to, to apprehend, to understand the, the width, the depth, the height, and the length. To literally, like Paul's asking us in Ephesians, to literally kind of wrap our minds around a, the four-dimensionality of the love of God. It's not just tall and long and wide, but it goes on for a long time. It goes on forever and ever and ever. And so we try to comprehend a love that can act in the moment, but actually have all of future history on our future history in, in, in its purview. And so that's, that's amazing. I mean, we try to love and we're thinking about right now. Or maybe we're a little bit, you know, we, we've got some deep love for someone. We're thinking about like, well, well, you know, in five years, you need to, you know, I love you. So in five years, 10 years, 20 years, I want you to be around. So, you know, maybe you should put the, you know, the snacks away or whatever, you know, whatever the love is that you're trying to convey to someone, right? Right? Love you. Put those potato chips down. Right? I just saw this, the, 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 man, the guy who invented the potato chip. Yeah, right? Yeah, I just saw that on, I um, forget what his name was. But anyways, you can look it up. Good guy. Um, <laughs> Dave loves him. <laughs> That's his weakness. Um, but to think about how to love someone in a, such a way that, that comprehends Eternity? Wow, now that's a, different, that's a different thing. This appeal of Mary and Martha teaches us further. The word for sick here in verse 3 is used in such a way as to imply being deathly sick. Lazarus was sick. He was deathly sick. He was terminal. He was sinking fast. This section of Scripture teaches us an important truth. The sickness of a believer is not incompatible with the Lord's love. I need to stop right here and I need to drive this point home in the most powerful <laughs> and profound way that I can. God loves the sick and he loves you when you're sick. And if you're sick, it doesn't mean that God has stopped loving you. Right. Amen? Yes. We need to understand this because this has been twisted up and bounced around and thrown out there every which way in crazy teaching to suggest that somehow if you're a believer and you're sick that you are falling short somehow that you're not measuring up that you don't have enough faith that you don't that you're not stretching out in your faith enough god loves you even when you're sick god loves you lazarus was his friend he this is one whom he loved and he was sick. He was terminal. And God loved him. Amen? And so we need to understand that. And 
I don't know why people have done this and why people have tried to make this a doctrine that somehow, um, you know, God is, uh, you know, doesn't love us. Or if he, I guess the thinking is, uh, you know, if you, you can have a thought that might go, well, if God loved me, he wouldn't let me be sick. Now, you know, I mean, if it's just a cold, you can say, ah, oh, well, you know, we'll get over it, right? Take some Robitussin or whatever, get some, get, get some Ludens, right? Remember Ludens? You'd sneak those into class. You, know, you, always, you always were sick, right? If you had Ludens, you know, it's like candy, but it was cough drops, right? Those were the accepted. You didn't have Halls. I mean, Halls were like if you were really sick, right? Ludens... <laughs> Ludens were like, you know, because you wanted to eat candy in class, and the teacher couldn't say, well, no, you can't have your Ludens, right? Where, where was I going with that? <laughs> Ludens. Uh, if it was a cold, you'd say, okay, well, you know, we're going to get through it. You know, we'll be fine. We'll be, we'll, be, we'll be doing better next week. But the problem is, comes in when you're dealing with greater sickness you're 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 dealing with like we've dealt with in our family like you know debilitating disease and even terminal illness and i think it needs to be said and i think it needs to be understood by the the community of faith that god loves us and our sickness doesn't stop that it doesn't stop that love and and god hasn't stopped loving us because we're sick. In fact, he still loves you. He really, really loves you, even in your sickness. And we need to understand that. In the hour of need, what did Mary and Martha do? They unburdened their heart to Jesus. They sought out the Lord. They sought a way to get Jesus the message. Amen? And that's one of the things we need to do, realizing that God loves us, that the Lord loves us, and that he he can do something about our situation, we need to bear our heart before the Lord. Amen? Just like Mary and Martha did, they got a message to Jesus. He, Jesus can do something about this. Let's get a message to him. We need to know that God is, is the strength of our life. Amen? We need to live and understand that God's our strength. The psalmist said it this way, well, it says it a bunch of ways. Just read the book of Psalms, right? You know, you'll, you'll learn that God's your strength. Amen. He's your strength. He's your salvation. He's your song. He's your light. He's everything. In Psalm 46, he said it this way in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so if you're in trouble, we need to realize that God's our strength. He's our refuge. And we need to run to our refuge. We need to run. He's the refuge. He's a strong tower. And the righteous run into it, Right? And so if you're part of the family, if you're part of the kingdom, you're part of the family, run to your heavenly father. He's your, he's your Lord. He's your savior. He's your refuge. He's your strength. He's your life. Amen. And he's a very present help in trouble. The Bible is filled with stories of how God's people unburdened their heart to him. Moses, for example. I mean, you read through Exodus and you get a real, you know, up-close idea 
of what it looks like to have a relationship with God. I mean, here Moses met with God, like face to face. It literally says, like, as a friend meets with a friend, that's how God and Moses met. And, and they had some, you know, they had some conversations. You know, I mean, at one point, I'm reminded of the part where, you know, the people were just, you know, just complaining and just out of control and whatever. And God's like, you know, I'm going to get rid of them and all this. And he's like, Moses says, look, look, look you're, you're, they're your people, Lord. You know, they're not my people. They're your people. <laughs> you know, and it's great. This, this, this relationship, this talking with the Lord, this unloading of our soul, bearing our soul to the Lord. David, you read the Psalms. I mean, the whole Psalms is basically David, the, all the ones that he wrote. It's just him like unloading, his, bearing his soul, bearing his heart to the Lord. And some of it's raw, you know? Some of it's just, you know, the Lord can handle, like you think, well, I'm just too raw to talk to the Lord. I'm too, no, he loves you. He already knows what's going on. He knows deep down into the crevices and the cracks and the stuff that you, that you don't even know that's down deep in your heart. You think, you're, you, you think it's a little bit better than it is. No, it's actually really bad down in there. You know, the, the Bible says the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it is what it says. God knows it and he still loves you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were at the depths of the bottom rung of whatever it was, that's when the Lord went to the cross on our behalf. And he knows what's ever going on in our hearts. And we can unload that to the Lord. And, 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 and even if it's just we don't understand what's going on, we don't, know, we don't even know how to think about what, what, what we're, what's happening in our lives. What, where do we go from here? We, un, we unload that, we, we, we bear that out to the Lord. It's so important. And then the disciples learned how to do that. Jesus taught them how to pray. And, you know, one of the parts of the prayer is just, you know, making your requests known to the Lord. It's not a, you know, the Lord's prayer is not a prayer that, you know, it's, it's, it's not one to recite. They're not magic words. It's not an incantation. It's a model when you pray, pray like this. You know, you enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise, and then you get down to the middle of it, it says, give us this day our daily bread. We make our requests known to the Lord. We make our petitions. We petition the Lord. You know? Put it in perspective. The praise and thanksgiving that bookmarks our prayer puts, puts our puts the unloading of our, of our heart to the Lord in perspective. You know, don't be tempted to go to the Lord every time just immediately in petition. I mean, he can handle it if you do. But enter the courts with praise and the gates with thanksgiving. Amen? And then make your petitions known. Bear your heart and soul before the Lord. And, and this, is, this is what they do. Even Mary, um, in the garden, the first eyewitness of the resurrection, and I love this story of the first eyewitness of the resurrection, and it's Mary, and she's looking into the tomb, and she sees an incredible thing. We won't get into that tonight, but then she's just still weeping, and then there's someone comes up behind her. After she looks into the tomb, she sees something that's really 
amazing. And, but she's still weeping, and she turns around, and she thinks that this man is the gardener, right? And, 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 and he asks her, why are you weeping? And, he, and she tells. She's just like, oh, they've taken away my Lord. And little did she know she was bearing her heart, even in that moment, to the Lord. And then he calls her Mary, and her eyes are open. She knows it's, that it's him. So we're always needing to be bearing our heart before the Lord. Amen? 1 Peter 5, 7, might as well remind you of this. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. When Jesus hears about Lazarus, that he's, that he's terminally ill, he says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Now, certainly Jesus knows that he's, he's terminally ill, but he knows that, that, that the Son of God, the Son of Man, is going to be glorified in this whole thing. And uh, the sickness was not unto death, but that the Son of God would be glorified. This is similar to the answer that Jesus gave concerning the blind beggar. Remember the man born blind in John chapter 9? It was not his parents' sin or his, his sin that he was blind, but it was that the Son of God would be glorified. And so, again, that's actually another example that we have of sickness not being something that is a, is a marker or some, somehow a, a thing that shows us that God doesn't love us. No, it's that whatever our infirmity, whatever our sickness, and we've got far, we had a far worse sickness than we, did, than we ever would physically. Mankind has a far worse sickness than any physical sickness that could be possible. There's a, there's a great spiritual sickness that is literally the death of us that, that God is wanting to address. And so it's everything is that the Son of God would be glorified through us. Amen? Which, which should convince us of one thing, that God wants to be glorified in me. God wants to be glorified in you. He's not fixated on the things that we are. His goal is to glorify Jesus through us. What, a, what an awesome thought. What an incredible thought. Jesus to be glorified through you. So whatever it is that you're going through, you need to know that Jesus loves you unconditionally and he wants to work in your life. He wants to work in that situation to ultimately glorify Jesus through that situation. Yeah. He wants to bring a restoration, a redemption, uh, a, a whole healing to whatever the situation is, to, to, to the mildest of situations, to the depth of the depravity of our soul. He wants to bring a, re, a, a, a remedy, his remedy and, and restoration to your situation, and that ultimately that it brings glory to Jesus. Amen? Yes. And so he loves you unconditionally. But he also loves us eternally. Let's pick it back up, verse 5, in our text. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, 
he stumbles because the light is not in, in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Jesus loves us unconditionally, and he also loves us eternally. I love this verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. It's as if the Holy Spirit kind of threw that in there after it told us that Jesus got the message that Lazarus was sick. To kind of pound that in again. No, 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 no. Your sickness is not bringing you to, to a place of not being loved by the Lord. Now, Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And not only did he love them at the moment, he loves them eternally. And he loves you eternally. We often think so much in the context of space-time, the space-time continuum or whatever, to talk like, you know, who was it, Doc Brown? You know, the space-time continuum. No, that's actually scientific, right? Space-time, there's actually a, a, a term. We, we think in terms of space-time, God, God is eternal. He existed before the universe, right? He's the first cause. He's the cause of the universe. So he existed outside of space-time. So he loved us, and the plan of God was set in, mo set in, set in the mind of God from the foundation of the world, from the, from the beginning of the whole thing, God knew what he was doing, right? So he loves us eternally. And, and, and that, should, that should really inform us. He loves us perfectly. He loves us eternally. He doesn't just really love us right now. Oh, he, he loves you right now because you're in church on Saturday night. You know, you're over there at South Coast Calvary Chapel and you're in the Bible study and, you know, oh, good, Jesus loves you. Or Jesus loved you 2,000 years ago on the cross. No, he, he, he loves you eternally, perfectly. And try to wrap our minds around it. He's going to love us perfectly all the way through the circumstances of our lives. Even in times where we wonder if, if he's there or if he loves us or if he still loves us or if he's given up on us or if anyone loves us. Maybe, you know, sometimes people get to the place where nobody loves me. There's people out there tonight that feel this. Suicide is just going crazy right now. Suicide rates, various different, for various different reasons. He loves, he loves you, he loves everyone. He's loving you right now in the midst of perhaps a hardship, a hard time that you're going through. He's going to love you through it. And he has a purpose for you. Look at verse 6. He finds out that Lazarus is dying. And so what, he, what does he do? He stays two more days. Now, if you do the study, you find out that he's over in Bethabara. Bethabara is a place where Jesus did a lot of ministry. In fact, it was where John was baptizing, John the Baptist. Bethabara is the house of the crossing. It's actually literally where Joshua brought the people of Israel across the river into, into the promised land. And it's where it's at the exact place where John the Baptist was baptizing. It's the, it's the exact place where Jesus was baptized. But he's in Bethabara and he's, he's ministering. 
and he hears that Lazarus is terminally sick, and so what does he do? He stays there two more days. Now, if we don't, we're not going to read the rest of the chapter tonight, but what you can do later tonight or tomorrow, whatever, you can read the rest of the chapter and, and remind yourself once again of what happens. Literally, he finds out that Lazarus is terminally ill, and he, and he doesn't go right to him. He just, Lazarus just dies. They literally, he's, he's dead. They, they wrap him up. They, they, you know, do the whole funeral thing and put him in the grave. By the time Jesus gets there, he's already been dead four days. So what this tells me is if Jesus is saying, this is, going, this is happening so that the Son of God would be glorified, Lazarus is terminally ill. He's re- it's really bad. He's sinking fast. The, the message is coming from Martha. To, oh, I'm just going to stay here for two more days. What does that tell you? It tells you that God's got it under control. God loves you perfectly. And we think like, Jesus, we need you to do something right now. If you really loved us, you wouldn't wait two more days. You wouldn't wait one more second. And, and I just really, you know, we, 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 we need it right now. We really need it right now, especially this generation. You know, we, we grew up with a microwave oven, <laughs> right? I mean, this, this generation, the now, they're, they're just, they're done for, right? <laughs> microwave ovens, drive throughs you know, who knows if they'll even cook <laughs> when they get, get older, right? <clears throat> And we, we need it right now. We need it right now. But God knows what the timing is better than we do. He knows the reasons. He has the purpose. He has it in control. He has it in his hand. Sometimes we feel like that when we're going through a difficult time. It's easy to say, I thought the Lord loved me. I prayed about this, and he knew that this was so urgent, and he knew the timing, and I knew the timing, and if I knew the timing, God knows the timing because God's omniscient. And so, how did God, you know, how did God miss this? He really loved me. Well, that's when we have to really put on our theology hats and our Bible hats and, and, and our thinking caps and really understand that God loves us perfectly. He loves us eternally, and He knows exactly when He needs to do what he's going to do in your life because it's all for his glory anyways. Amen? Amen. Tell you what, that takes a load of a pressure off uh, you personally and it takes a load of a pressure off in prayer because I tell you what, when, when we have an urgent need, wow, we're going to prayer and we are, we are praying and we are praying, but what I want to do in my life and what I encourage you to do in your life and your Christian walk is go to the Lord with the understanding, this understanding, that yes, it is very urgent for you right now that God stretch out his hand and right into the middle of your situation right now, this minute, this second. But God loves you perfectly and he loves you eternally and he knows the exact timing of what needs to be done in your life. Amen? So... Jesus was working his love in the lives of Mary, 
Martha and Lazarus. His plan for them was that their faith would be strong and that their joy would be full. See, sometimes we want our circumstance fixed. It's this. We want our health fixed, the finances fixed, whatever the situation is, relationship thing, whatever it is. The Lord is working because he wants us, he wants our faith to be strong and he wants our joy to be full. In other words, he wants us to put all of our chips into the center of the Lord's table. <laughs> you know? You know, it's not, it's not like some type of a craps table where you've got like, you know, you've got several bets out there. No, I got, I, I, I got all my eggs in one basket. I got all my eggs, all my life in one basket, and it's the Lord, and, and that he's got a plan for me, and that he saved me. And, and, and you know what? As, 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 as much as we love this life and we want to hang on to it, wow, there's something that is far greater than this. Sometimes we need to think about that. There's something far beyond this, as great as it is. There's some great things. But God's got great, he's got incredible things for us. In the meantime, he wants us to push forward. He wants us to, 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 to know, he wants to know that we've put all of our eggs in that basket, Amen. the basket of the Lord. Amen? Amen? And we'll close with that in a little bit. Jesus was fully submitted to the will of the Father. By suffering through and enduring, even to the bitterness of, bitterness of death, Jesus was strengthening their faith and perfecting their joy. They literally had to walk through this time period of literally seeing their brother die. Wrapped up, buried, put in the tomb. Jesus gets there later in this chapter he gets to the tomb, and he's overcome with the emotion of it all. You get to verse 35 of this chapter. It's the, that's, the, that's the shortest verse in all the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus wept on the cross. No, Jesus wept because he got to Lazarus' grave. He wept for his friend. And yet he's got the whole thing under control. Amen. He loves us in an everlasting way. He's going to continue to love us so perfectly, so everlastingly. He doesn't love us. Sometimes we want to be loved. We, in, instead of the perfect, everlasting love, we, sometimes I think we trade it for the touchy-feely love. God, just don't love me in that perfect, unconditional, eternal way right now. I just really need the touchy-feely form. Right? Leviticus chapter 2, the grain offering, or the, what's called the meal offering, was to be made with no leaven and no honey. No leaven is no sin. This is a picture of the sacrifice of Christ. There's no leaven, but it's no honey. What was honey at that time? Sugar. No, no, sugar, no sin and no fluff. No sugary coated, no like, you know, glazed uh, Krispy Kreme type of thing. The, Leviticus 2, 
Leviticus 2 was not the Krispy Kreme offering. It was the meal offering. It was the grain offering. It was no leaven and no honey. It was perfect, a perfectly fine flour that was perfectly sifted down to absolute perfection. And that's the type of love. That's the type of thing that, that in, in, in the way that God loves us. The love of Christ isn't sugar. It's perfect love. We wonder why God makes us wait. But what we should know is that God's desire, God's desire is to bless us. What is, what is he blessing us with? Our idea of blessing, if we're honest, our idea of blessing, even if we're trying to be spiritual, it's still kind of on the temporal level. <laughs> you know, we're still, we're, it's temporal material, Right? God wants to bless you in such a way that you're so blessed down to the core of who you are that it just blows right through the center of who you are and it blows out to the temporal and the material. You see, we want it the other way. But God's working so powerfully from the inside out, not from the outside in. And when you have a relationship with God and the dynamic change that he's bringing about in your life that's from the inside out, man, that's the way to go. That's the way to go because I know that God's working deep down on the inside of me. He's working perfectly. He's working eternally. He's working in every which way perfect for my good. And so I can deal with some of this stuff on the outside, on the temporal, because there's something deep down on the inside of what God's done in my life that's eternal. Amen? Amen? And, and, and we need to hold on to that. How are we doing on time? We're doing good. We're wrapping this up. So finally, after two days, Jesus tells his disciples, let's go to Judea. Bethany was in Judea. He says, let's go to Judea. What was Jesus doing? He was testing the disciples. Didn't he love them? Because they, what, what was the, when, when he said, let's go to Judea, what'd they say? Um, they're, they're after you in Judea. Jesus, just want to remind you about this. They've been after you in Judea. Do you really want us to go there? Because, like, we would advise, like, not to go there. We would just say, you know, if you want our two cents on this whole thing, we would say, let's just stay out here, you know? We've got the river, and we've got the thing, and we've got this thing happening out here. In that sense, he's testing them. He wants, he wants to know what's in their hearts in that sense. Are they going to trust the Lord? Earlier in their lives, you know, there was that passage where Jesus put the, put the disciples in the boat, and he, and he said, you know, he, 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 they got a boat, and he said, let's go to the other side. Right? Remember that one? Let's go to the other side. And then the storm, they get out into the middle of the sea, the middle of the Sea of Galilee there, and the storm comes up, and it's just, you know, the boat's going down and whatever, and they're just all in a panic, and, and Jesus is sleeping. Right? Jesus is just totally chill. And we can be chill in the midst of a storm like that because Jesus said, let's go to the other side. 
right? And if Jesus said, let's go to the other side, well, then that's like, you can take that to the bank, you can take that to Vegas. <laughs> like Brady winning the Super Bowl the other night, right? Because it was in the prophecy in Daniel 8, right? The goat would defeat the two-headed ram, the two-horned ram right there. In... Anyways, funny, funny little thing. Um, so, he knows. Uh, he knows what's going to happen, so we need to trust him. And if he said, let's go to the other side, or he says, let's go to Judea, then we got to trust the Lord. They couldn't see the logic in going to Judea, and often we can't see the logic in what God tells us to do. Remember, he's loving you perfectly. Whatever he's asked you to do, we need to just do it. We need to obey the Lord. Sometimes we get our thing, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to, the Lord's testing me, I'm going to test him. We don't say that, but really, like in our actions, sometimes that's what we're saying. We're going to test the Lord. I'm going to tell you, don't test the Lord. He's testing you. You don't, you don't need to, you can look in the Word of God and you can look at how he dealt with all these people in the Word of God and how he dealt with each one of them perfectly and how he's dealing with you perfectly and you can know right now tonight that he's dealing with you perfectly. He's testing you and he wants to find out what's in your heart. And actually, he knows what's in your heart. The test is actually for you to see what's in your heart. The test is for actually you to see what's really in your heart. So what is it? What is it that you're going through? What is it revealing? Is it revealing that you really need to give everything to the Lord? You really need to put your foot in the right direction in obedience to the Lord? That's what's important. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Amen? Amen? I want to close with reading. Go with me to um, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Here's a, you have an extra Bible there, Dave? Let me see that. Thanks. Huh? Oh, yeah, no, I got it right here. Whose Bible is this? Just a lone Bible that needed to be opened down there on the front row. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments 
did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the, for the good land which he has given you. That is what the Lord is doing. That is what the Lord is doing. We've got to really see that God is, he tested them. They were out in the desert. They, made, they got up every day and collected this stuff on the floor, on the ground. Manna, it actually means what is it? That's what it means. It's actually, what is it? They ate, what is it? There was a candy bar back in the 70s. Whatchamacallit? That's what it was. That's what man is. Whatchamacallit? What in the world is this? And God the whole time was bringing that people into a land flowing with milk and honey. And so I, I want to close with this tonight, Christian. Don't you know how much God loves you? Don't you know what the Lord is doing? And let him do it in your life. Let him be that perfect lover of your soul. Let him bring you along the path. And, and you respond to him by loving him and obeying him. And even if you've stepped to the side or stepped to this side, Tonight's the night where you get back on that path. You get back on that track because God wants you to bring you into that land. He's going to bring you into that place of not lacking anything. And we read it last week in, in Revelation. Tonight we're reading it in Deuteronomy. Last week we read it in Revelation where he's going to wipe away every tear and he's going to cause, he's going to bring you to that place of no more pain and no more sorrow. And he's going to bring you in to the new Jerusalem. 